Little known fact, uh, I once got in a fight in the school cafeteria. I know, I know, I know, it probably shatters your vision of me as this person who never gets fights in school cafeterias, but it's true, it happened. I was in the eighth grade, and it wasn't so much a fight as it was uh, me getting beat up. So, actually, I want to tell a story. Uh, so here I was, I'm sitting in the cafeteria, I'm across the table from my good friend Gail, and we're having a good conversation, and she, all of a sudden, uh, she looks up from, from our tater tots, because the tater tots are great in the eighth grade in the public school cafeteria, right? And she, her mouth drops, and she's just like, and I'm eating my tater tots, like, what? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, nowhere she's like, bam! And I just got a sucker punch, like, right in the side of the head. I don't, know, I don't know what happened. It was behind me. I'm just like, so I'm bringing myself together in the moments that it takes for me to compile myself. Like, I got to turn around and figure out which dude decided that he was going to ruin his day. Because it's about to go down. But before I could even get going, you know what happens in the eighth grade when there's a smack in the cafeteria? You know, you know what happens. The chant begins, right? How does it go? Fight, 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 fight. So the kids are going crazy. And before I even have a chance to turn and face this dude, bam, another sucker punch right in the side of the head. I'm like, come on, dude. I haven't even stood up yet. So I stand up. I get ready to ball up my fist, all 86 pounds of me. And I'm ready to go. And it's not a dude at all. It's this, like, four-foot-six little girl with a ponytail. Now, listen, I don't advocate boys hitting girls at all. Okay? I don't advocate at all. I got a son of my own, a daughter of my own, and we... But this was a moment where I came close to breaking that rule. Fortunately, the school principal got there quick, okay? And he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he's like, Chris, go to the office. You know the way. I've been there before. And <laughs> so I'm like, oh, what's going on? Now, here I stand, humiliated in front of, I don't know, 100 eighth graders, and they're still chanting, fight, fight, fight. I get sucker punched twice in the face by a girl, and now I'm headed to the principal's office. I haven't done anything wrong. I didn't even get a, get a fight, in, a swing in this fight, and my tater tots are getting cold. Like, it's a bad day. Now, I left out some details, uh, and I got to fill you in a little bit. Um, the girl who had punched me was new to school. She was a bit troubled, uh, and she'd come from a, an interesting situation. The day before, she had written me one of those uh, do you like me check yes or no notes. Apparently, I picked the wrong answer. Uh, this is a girl who does not take no for an answer, apparently. And so uh, if you're wondering, it didn't work out between us. Um, we, we didn't live happily ever after. Uh, now that I'm an adult, I look back on this situation, and I understand some things that I didn't understand then. I understand uh, now, knowing uh, more about this girl, that she, she had a troubled past. Uh, she was living in a group home at the time. She had been thrown around from school system to school system, from co foster care family to foster care family. She had issues going on, and I just happened to be the unlucky recipient of some of her grief that day. Um, and that's the way it went down. But when all I knew when I was in the eighth grade, all I knew at that moment was I got beat up by a girl in the cafeteria. Like, that's all I knew. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't live that down for a while. Um, today, we are in the final week, the final stretch of our series, Battleground. And it has been just a great, you know, uh, exercise to go through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament with you guys over the last five weeks. Uh, the book of Ephesians is a great book written to Christians living in the city of Ephesus, written by a guy named Paul. We've talked a lot about him. If you've missed any of the Battleground series, I encourage you, please go check out our podcast. Uh, you can hear me preach some, and Aaron preaches one week. Uh, he's a guy who was playing acoustic guitar up here a minute ago. Uh, and, and you can just catch up on, on the book of Ephesians. Uh, there's this thread, there's this theme that goes throughout the book of Ephesians that we kind of picked up on and wanted to bring to you. Uh, it starts kind of like this, uh, that life is full of struggles, it's full of stresses, it's full of pains, it's full of, uh, full of uh, sucker punches. <laughs> and, and, and what do we do about it, right? What, like, what do we do in this world? 
And what Paul does as he writes the book of Ephesians is he gives us some great insight. You know, God has got a plan for you. God has rescued you some from dangerous things. God has given you a way out. And that's been great. It's really been great to look at those things. But maybe you're like me. And you're like, I'm glad that God has done some things to rescue me from my past. To rescue me from some things that have happened yesterday. But you know what? I'm tired of getting sucker punched. Like, I'm tired of life sneaking up on me, and it's like, bam, I didn't see it coming. So thank you for taking care of the things from my past, from my, my sin, from my whatever, my past. But is there anything, you got anything for, like, later? You got anything to help me get through the next phase? Is there anything I can do to protect myself, or if it's necessary, maybe, to fight back? Um, I love the lessons that we can learn from world history. And maybe you've heard of a guy named uh, Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu was a Chinese general who lived uh, in ancient China. Uh, he, he lived about 500 years before the book of Ephesians was written, about 500 years before Jesus lived. And so uh, I think the 6th century B.C. is how you count that. And so you, you've got this guy, Sun Tzu, and Sun Tzu was a, a military strategist and a genius. And he writes this book called The Art of War. Anybody ever heard of The Art of War? Kind of a cool, kind of a cool uh, historical book, but it's this great strategy manual on fighting wars. And even today, modern day uh, military strategists will look at some of the principles that Sun Tzu gave in battle and say, man, that was good. We should apply that. And so um, we don't want to get all of our uh, spiritual nutrition from ancient Chinese war, war strategists, uh, but there's a phrase here that I want to pick up on and, and, and go with. This is one of the principles that Sun Tzu had. Let's, let's take a look at it. It said this. It says, know your enemy and know yourself and you can fight a hundred battles without disaster. Take that in for a second. Know your enemy and know yourself, and you can fight a hundred battles without disaster. It's pretty deep. It's pretty significant. Know your enemy. There is immeasurable strategic value in being aware of what you're up against. Like I'm sitting in the school cafeteria. I didn't even know that she was coming. <laughs> I didn't know that I shouldn't have checked no, that instead I should have changed my address and moved to Montana. Like I didn't know that was actually the correct you know, series of events that should have happened. But if we can know our enemy, or more, better yet, if we can know what we're up against, I love this phrase, you can fight 100 battles without disaster. Uh, we don't get our spiritual nutrition from ancient Chinese generals, though that is really good. But we do love to look at the Bible. For the answers to life's most important questions. And so I think that actually Paul takes off on this idea as we wrap up this series, Battleground, in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible today, grab it, open it up, Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. You can turn it on your phone and flip up. Uh, and we also give them away for free, but we'll have them uh, on the screen behind me. The scripture I'll be reading will be on the screen behind me. And as we approach the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul, uh, you've seen that movie Braveheart? Where William Wallace is standing there with his face painted, and he's like, freedom! You know, and he's giving this big, like, encouraging pep rally to all the soldiers. I feel like this is kind of where Paul's going out on this book. He's like, guys, it's been rough. God has saved you. But freedom! Like, charge forward because we still have a battle to fight, but it is winnable. In fact, it's already won. And so we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, if you're there, starting in verse 10. And we're just going to be looking at a few verses today. It says this in Ephesians 6.10. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. 
One thing that we see here is the mention of an enemy. And, and it gets kind of real. It's talking spiritual warfare. In fact, if you pick up between the lines, he starts to talk about demons. And, you know, some people talk about demons in different ways. A lot of people, they talk about demons the way that we talk about those gremlins that steal the match to your socks out of the, the, the dryer. You know, it's like, oh, it's a demon, got my socks. And, like, it's kind of flippant, and it's a joke. Like, you know, it's not a big deal. Other people maybe swing the pendulum the other way, and it's like every cough and scrape and sniffle and traffic jam is caused by demons. I'm not sure if we're on either end of the spectrum here where Paul is. I think what he's saying here is, no, there is a real spiritual force, and it is real to be reckoned with. And I believe we're in a spiritual battle. I don't know if, if you believe all this. But I do know this. There are a lot of people who go through life and, and, and they notice the struggle. Like, you hear people say this stuff all the time. Like, life is hard. Man, who is hard? Life is hard. It feels like a battle. Man, uh, work was hard today. Man, I'm always going head to head with the boss, man. It's, like, it's, it's hard. It feels like a battle. Marriage is, is hard. Man, marriage is hard. It feels like a battle. Parenting is hard. It feels like a battle. Politics, we saw the video earlier, we made fun of. It feels like a battle. I want to open our eyes to an idea, a concept, in fact, the truth I would stand on, and it's this. Maybe it feels like a battle because it is a battle. Like, if we could strip back the, the, the veneer of what's on the surface of life, if we could pull back the curtain of the physical things that we can touch, smell, smell and, and taste, if we could pull that back and see behind the curtain into the spiritual undercurrent that's happening, I think what we would find would blow our minds to find that there are indeed forces at odds with one another, some good, some bad, and it's not a joking matter. I'm not sure if you buy all this. We, we, we want to be a church that's, church that's accessible to people who uh, maybe you're new to faith, you're new to God, maybe it's your first time in church or you've just been coming a few weeks and the whole talk of demons and spiritual battle stuff, it's like... All right, yeah, I knew this place was crazy. I couldn't quite find it, but I knew. But here's the thing that I found. The people who are, man, in the hardest places in life are often the most apt to accept this. It's the people that life is flowery and fluffy and fuzzy. It's, it's people in that life situation that go, I don't know. Maybe it's all just no big deal. I can tell you this. I, I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it as I've sat in the hut of a witch doctor in West Africa as he had voodoo charms hanging around the room. I felt this, the oppression, the darkness, the heaviness there. I'm not trying to go to some scary place. I'm saying this is real life. I've seen it in the homes of people in America where they just feel the heaviness, the darkness, and the only answer that they can find in this is to seek, man, there is some spiritual business going on here. And that's why I believe that when you look across history and when you look across the world in every culture that's ever existed, there is an acknowledgement of a spiritual reality. That's why ancient people worshipped idols. That's why people cut themselves and dedicated their children to temples. You following me? Like, it's not just surface-level fluffy stuff. There's something else going on on the deeper end. And what if, what if the reason that life sometimes feels like a battle is because it is a battle? And that there are forces at odds with one another beneath the curtain, beneath the surface, and there they are, and they're fighting for us. Know your enemy. Paul gives us an introduction in verse 12. We'll go back and look at this again. It's the first part of verse 12. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood, but listen to this. But against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Rulers, authorities, powers, 
forces. It's hard to know exactly what each of these things is. Like, I don't know what a ruler is versus a power or versus an authority. Like, I don't know what he exactly means by all that. It's kind of hard to decipher it. But here's some things I do understand. Uh, the first thing is that the Bible teaches a lot about angels. Uh, not, not a ton, but what we learn about angels is this, that angels, uh, they exist in kind of a, a hierarchy of power. There are some who are supreme. They are archangels, arch meaning, you know, leader, archangels. And then there are others who do different tasks. The other thing that we kind of learn from the Bible is that demons are fallen angels. There are people who rebelled against God or beings who rebelled against God, said, I don't want to live for God. I want to live for myself. And so they go off uh, to the dark side, as it were, and there they are. And it would make sense to me that if as angels they were arranged in a hierarchy of rank and power and authority, that in the evil realm the same thing would be true, that there would be some that are ranking higher than others. I think we see that in Scripture. And I think that and when, when you look at life, it explains why some places are just darker than others. It explains why some situations are just harder to deal with than others. And there are some who are more powerful, and there are some who are just, just involved in the small little skirmishes. And this is really important, too. And let me back up to my story uh, of getting sucker punched in the cafeteria. Um, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not. When I got sucker punched in the cafeteria by a girl in the eighth grade, yes, that happened, my instinct was to fight back. Who? Against who? Uh, against whoever hit me, Right? But you know, if, I, if I'd have fought back, if I'd have pushed her down, or if I'd have swung at her, or if I'd have, maybe not in a physical way, but later decided to trash talk her in front of all of her friends and stuff, like, you know, that wouldn't have done any good. It really wouldn't have solved anything. And, and the fact is that this girl, un unfortunately, while she was there, she got in a fight every single day at school until she eventually got kicked out of school. In fact, she told us that was her job. That was her goal. I mean, that was her goal. Some people did fight back. Did it fix the problem? No. We've all been there long enough to know that's not going to fix. Now, here's the thing. She wasn't my enemy. And actually, I wasn't her enemy. The truth was she was just caught in the crossfire of a battle that was happening on way bigger than her. Now, first of all, we need to understand she was responsible for her actions, and I was too. We're all responsible for our actions. But there was a lot going on under the surface for her. Right? I mean, she's got this crazy home situation. She, I doubt she even experienced any love in her life. And so there is this thing. And under the service are these spiritual undercurrents pulling her and tugging her this way and that. And her situation's changing. And everything's going crazy in her life. And here are me and her in the cafeteria. And what are we? Are we the enemies of one another? No. We're caught in the crossfire of what's happening on a spiritual level. We've got to know the difference between the enemy and the people caught in the crossfire. Because we make the wrong decision against, on who to fight against all the time. It's what happens, husbands, when you're having a rough day at work and you go home and you blow up on your wife. Is she the enemy? No, there's something else going on. There's a big thing going on in life. Yeah, are you responsible for your actions? Yes. Do you need to get your emotions under control? Yes. But there are spiritual realities that we have to deal with. It's why, it's why parents who blow up at their kids and, and, and mess up their self-esteem, are the kids the enemy? I mean, come on. They're, they're learning self-control. So often we miss the target as who the enemy really is. And there we stand in the crossfire. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So what do we do? We're tired of getting sucker punched. How do I hold my own? How do I defend myself? How do I even fight back if I get an opportunity? I'm so glad the rest of this passage is there. We got a little heavy right there in the front end. 
Let's see if we can climb out of the power of God, okay? We're going to look at verse 13 of this passage, and this is what Paul gives us. He starts out with this advice. He says, therefore, because of all that, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Know your enemy and be prepared. Not only do we need to know our enemy, but we also need to know what our options are. Are. Or, or maybe you want to put it a different way. We need to know what our weapons are. What is our armor? How can we protect ourselves? And if necessary, how can we fight back? He's going to give it this. This is the spiritual armor of God. Verse 14, he says, so stand firm then. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I love this verse. It's so encouraging because, you know, we get in this, this, this mindset of like, uh, what are we going to do? I talk to people all the time like, what do I do? Tell me what to do. And so often, I, sometimes the only answer I can come up with is something like this. Let's, let's pray about it. Let's take it to God. Let's, let's pray about it. And I've had people tell me like, you know, I expected that from you. Some useless answer from a Christian. <laughs> Just pray about it. But, but you know why that's the best answer that we have sometimes? Because I can't put my hand on whatever else it is that we need to deal with. So Paul gives us some principles that as we take it to God arm ourselves with this thing. I love this verse because when, uh, when popular culture these days uh, paints a picture of Christianity or Jesus or Christians, man, that dude is the wimpiest, girliest, like soft-handedest, mildest little loser you ever met. When you see Jesus, you ever see a caricature of Jesus in a cartoon? Oh my goodness. Like, it makes me sick. This dude, first of all, like by trade, he's, he's, a, he's a builder. He's a, you ever met a, a construction worker? Yeah, I dare, I dare you to talk trash to that guy, okay? This is just by his physical build. But no, he, he is more than that. Here's this. Even though the message of Christianity is peace and unity, and it's like, oh, just hug a tree and rub a kitten. Like, that might, that might seem like what the message of Jesus is, but make no mistake, there is no such thing as peace in an evil world without people who are willing to fight for it. You hear what I said? There's no such thing as peace in an evil world without people who are willing to fight for it. We just celebrated Veterans Day last week. We have veterans in the house today. Can you just put your hand up a little bit? I'm, we didn't recognize you last week. I'm sorry. Can we thank these guys and ladies? Thank you. Man, you think about the peace that we experience in, in parts of our globe. Yes, there, there's, there's craziness happening in, in Paris and in the Middle East. It's craziness. But imagine what the world would be like if all the evil people were just in charge. There's no peace in an evil world unless there are good people willing to fight for it. Peace for victims of human trafficking. It comes through the brave boldness of those who are willing to storm the hideouts of the creeps who, who enslave people. Right? That's how peace happens for them. Peace for, for the drug-infested community comes from the brave neighbors who stand up and say, no, not in my neighborhood. No. Get your drugs out of here. That's where peace comes from. Peace for children stuck in the foster care system. Peace for those kids comes from the family who says, we will love you. Even though it's a little scary, we will love you. And peace for this world that is battle-ridden and crazy and scary, peace on our spiritual self, peace for our souls, comes from God who says, I'm willing to go down there in the form of a human named Jesus 
and kick some spiritual butt. I'm headed down there to take care of business. Make no mistake that Jesus' message of peace and unity is anything other than a warrior who's ready to take care of business for you. You hearing me today? Guys, we're not alone. Jesus is the commander-in-chief. He's the supreme general of the spiritual battleground. And Paul says, gear up. Gear up because the fight is real, but don't worry. You're not alone. And you can win this thing. It's already been won. And you can protect yourself and you can fight back. You know, it might sound like an oxymoron. But the fact is that the battleground that we're going to must have weapons to achieve peace in our lives. Let's talk about these things. Uh, I want to take a look at the picture. Do we have a picture of the Roman uh, soldiers? I can't remember if I put that in there. Yeah, there we go. Um, you recognize this from history class. This is Roman soldiers, and they're in a, in a, in a uh, they're in an arrangement called a phalanx. A uh, phalanx is an arrangement of soldiers who kind of stand side by side, and you can see each Roman soldier is dressed much like the image that Paul painted for God's spiritual armor. And so you got they've got some some shields, they've got some a breastplate, they've got a helmet, they've got a sword, and what you'll find is they've got some defensive armor, and then they would normally have uh, an offensive weapon, many times a long spear, and then. Pretty much always a small sidearm, a little sword. I want to take a look at this unit of men right here because I think there's something beautiful, beautiful that could be found out about Christianity from this. As you observe these and as we break down the armor of a Roman soldier, which is, these are, these are the, the soldiers that would have been most often seen in the day that the Ephesians were living in. You'll first of all notice that all of their armor is on the front of their body. In fact, it's supposedly said that there's no armor on the back of a Roman soldier's body because they weren't intended to run away. <laughs> They're always intended to continue to move forward. And so if you're like, uh, but can I just get like just a little extra piece, just in case, just a little, little extra right on the back, but that's how it went. The other thing that you might notice is, um, see this guy on the side? Um, yeah, this guy on the side is in an interesting situation. There's nothing to his side to protect him. In fact, if I'm an individual soldier, I'm standing there, I've got my big awesome shield, here I am, I'm hiding behind it, it's awesome, I'm charging in. But to my right side, i got this little bitty sword, but, but nothing else. But you know what? That's okay. Because I'm going to have a buddy right here. And on my left side, i, I got nothing. I got no, I'm holding the shield, maybe i got like a pocket to put my hand in, I don't know, but it's okay. Because i got buddy right here. In fact, there's no armor on my back, but you know why that's okay? Because there's somebody behind me that's got my back. Hold that thought. Phase two of this situation. These little bitty swords, they're more like little machetes than swords. And when you look at like medieval times, these, these, these knights had these giant long swords and they'd like wield them with two hands and it'd be awesome. Uh, they didn't get that. There were long swords in Roman times, but the only people that used them were what they called the heroes or the gladiators. It wasn't used for combat. It was used for entertainment. And there were these big, giant Arnold Schwarzenegger looking warriors and they would just fight each other with these giant swords. But the average soldier wouldn't even be able to hold one of those things. They're so huge and definitely wouldn't be able to fight with it. Now, now the, the important thing about this is that there are a couple things that the soldiers needed to remember. The first one is this. I am not a gladiator. I'm a soldier. So often, we get the idea that we could just run off and fight by ourselves. And the Roman soldier, if they were to go off and fight by themselves like a gladiator, they had a name for these guys that would run off and fight by themselves. They wouldn't stay in the phalanx. They would, they would split off. Uh, the name for it was, um, oh, a casualty. Yeah, that's what they called those people. They didn't make it. They didn't make it at all. And the other thing is this, uh, they had to stay together. 
The most efficient way to use this unit was to fight together. This leads us to a really powerful picture of the spiritual battle throughout the book of Ephesians. And if you look, there's a, there's another, there's a lot of threads that go through the book of Ephesians. One of them is this, unity. You read it. Read, read the book of Ephesians again. See how many times unity is discussed and talked about. Guys, we need each other. Don't run away because I got your back. And don't worry about what's happening right here or right here because you need to be side by side with someone else in community, living alongside that person, someone that you're a text message or a phone call away from. We need to get each other's back. We need to be living in unity. How are we going to fight in this battleground? Together. That's how. And then there's this other mindset. I, I've got friends and I know people who say, you know, I, I don't need church. Like, I really don't need church. Like, I, I got nature. Like, that's my church. And that's, that's a beautiful sentiment. It is. Uh, I, you know, I go out and lay on my surfboard and that's my church. Or I listen to, to good Christian music and that's my church. And, and that's, those are all good things. I encourage those things. But anyone who believes that they're an exception and can go out and fight like a gladiator is a word for that. You might end up as a casualty. We don't do well by ourselves. We need each other. And I think that's why Paul gives us this picture of a unit of fighting people who understand what they're up against. Don't fight alone. Uh, seek community with each other. I want you to plug this real quick. I hope that you're in community with somebody that's helping you grow. By community, I don't mean some like lovey-dovey. They're at your house every single day, and they, like, they can order your food for you before you get there because they know exactly that you don't like onions or whatever. Like, I mean, that's cool if you have that. But what I'm talking about is someone that genuinely cares about your life and is willing to sit and listen to your issues and your problems and help you walk through them. And we've got a couple of ways as a church that we try to do that. We've got small groups that meet every week. A lot of you guys are involved in small groups. Uh, and, and, and maybe if you're not, it'd be a great way to plug in, to get involved in a small group. They meet all over the city. If you're interested in being involved in a small group and just meeting some people uh, so that you could have it a phone call or text message away, uh, would you please make a note on that long skinny connection card that was in your seat? Drop it in the bucket before you leave. Someone will call you before the day is over, uh, before the week is over. And then we have another style of meeting called micro group. If small group is not small enough for you, we got micro groups. Uh, small groups are like 8 to 12 people. They're normally families or couples or you know, a variety of types of people. A, a micro group is actually three to five people, all the same gender, and they meet once a week for about 45 minutes. I think we have 10 or 12 small groups that meet uh, throughout the week. Uh, I'm in a small group with a couple of men, and uh, guys, we need to get together. We've skipped a few weeks, and, and that's partially my bad. But, uh, you know, we, I tell you what, these guys have gotten my back more than once. It's important to live in community. If, if you're not into that today, like you don't have someone that you can lean on, please speak to me, speak to a volunteer today, and just say, listen, I'm, I just want to plug in. I want to meet somebody, and someone's going to do their best to help you get plugged in. So we've got this phalanx. We've got the idea of the spiritual armor. And what I want to do as we kind of wrap out today, it might seem a little more academic, uh, but if you're a note taker or want to jot some stuff down in your phone, this would be a good time to do that. There, there are a few items that Paul gives us in this passage that we've already said, but we're going to go back and we're going to not look at them as a metaphor, like a metaphor of a shield or a metaphor of a belt, a metaphor of a helmet, but like let's look at what they actually are. Okay, we're going to break these down and that's how we're going to kind of go out today. We're going to rewind and go back to... Uh, the first piece of our spiritual armor, and the first thing it says this, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. You know, the first piece of armor that Paul mentions is truth. Truth. You know what the world is sick of? Lies. I'm sick of lies. I don't know who we can trust in the government. I don't know who we can trust for the economy. I don't know who we can trust to get school systems deciding what we're going to teach our kids and how we're going to teach them how to count. Like, I don't, I don't. I'm sick of all the confusion. What if 
we could discover a core principle, truth. You know, truth is something that everyone is seeking. They want something they can hang their hat on. Truth in our world seems like it's on a sliding scale. It's, it's, it's moral relativity. You heard of this? It's our postmodern era. And what, what it is, what all that means is this. Uh, my truth is not necessarily your truth. Like, true, what's true for me is not necessarily has to be what's true for you. Like, I don't want to step on your toes or anything. I'm going to be over here doing my truth, and you go do your truth. Well, what happens when your truth uh, in, in, inflicts, you know, pain on someone else? What happens when your truth, you know, interferes with someone's right to, you know, happiness and freedom, right? We, we saw that in Paris this week, right? That's what happens when there's no moral truth. This is the thing that we stand on here at Venture Church, and, 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 if, and if this is new to you, I hope that you'll stick around for several weeks and just come and hear how we continue to approach it. But I believe that there is an absolute truth, and I, begin, it begins, I believe that it begins with acknowledging that there is a God who not only created the world, but he loves you personally. He loves you. Here we call that becoming a God chaser. It says, I love God. I'm learning who he is. Maybe I don't understand him completely, but I want to make my life revolve around his truth and what he says and seek him out. The very first piece of armor we get is, is not some machine gun, a flamethrower. It's truth. And truth, like in any good, uh, you know, nice outfit, is going to be the thing that holds your pants up, right? It keeps everything together. Truth brings it all together. Truth brings it all together. He says, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The second thing, it says, with the breastplate of righteousness, in place. The second piece of armor that we can use as we battle in this world that we live in is righteousness. Now, truth battles against the evil of lies. Righteousness battles against the unright, evil, bad. Paul says, wear that like a breastplate. When you think about a breastplate, think um, bulletproof jacket, okay? It's going to protect your vital organs. It's going to give you this confidence to walk in. When you, know, when you know you're standing on the side of righteousness, when you're standing on the side of like, this is what God desires for his honor, man, it is so much easier to move forward in the battle. Like, what I'm doing right now is worth it. It's not a waste of my time. It's worth it. And along with this righteousness, he says this, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So we've got the belt of truth buckled around our waist. We've got the breastplate of righteousness. And now we've fitted our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Let's talk about that real quick. Because when I think uh, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, uh, I think shoes. Maybe, maybe that's the goal. You know? I think uh, a soldier needs a good pair of boots, maybe a good pair of running shoes. I mean, you've got to have something on to get you moving. Because one of the greatest things in all history that keep, uh, that keep armies mobilized is having good shoes. They need that. That's some of the things that, that hurt some of the armies in, in ancient times. They weren't able to be as mobilized. And what are the things that protect our feet that gives us the ability to be mobile, that gives us the encouragement to move forward and continue living the life we're living? What are our shoes? Not Air Jordans, not some awesome Pumas, not rainbow flip-flops. The gospel of peace. Th that word gospel is it's a churchy word. Most of you may have heard it, but if you haven't, the word gospel, it means good news. So the gospel of peace is the good news. It's a very uh, biblical thing. You see it all throughout the New Testament, that the gospel of peace is the good news that Jesus came to bring peace to the world. How awesome is it to motivate troops with a message of peace? Isn't that what good armies fight for? Peace. 
And it makes us say, man, I, I could charge the lines. I can run ahead and tell the people on the front line, guys, it's good news. There's hope. That feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Nothing motivates people to move onward like good news. We got the belt of truth buckled around our waist. We got the breastplate of righteousness. We have got uh, our, our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Let's take a this, look at this next one. This, this is maybe one of the bigger items. If you saw the, the phalanx earlier, the biggest thing they were holding was what? Their shield, right? Listen to this. In addition to all this, take up the shield of what? Faith, which you can hold it to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What is faith? Faith is kind of this abstract concept, and it's kind of, it's kind of hard to hold on to sometimes. Uh, this is a sentence we use a lot here at church just to kind of help define faith. That faith is knowing that God is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do, and then living a life like you believe it. Faith is knowing that God is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he'll do. I will protect you. I will guide you. I will bring you back to life. Think about the last few weeks. You are chosen. You are adopted. I love you. Believing that God is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do, and then living a life like you believe it. Faith is the thing that bridges the gap between what we know about God, which might be small, and then what we don't know about anything else. Faith is this bridge, and it bridges between what we know and what we, what we don't know. Here's the thing. The brightest minds in history don't have all the answers. You can go to all the scientists, all the chemists, all the astrophysicists that you want to, all the biologists, all the politicians, all the economists, all the military strategists. You line them up in a row, and you say, okay, we are here to collect all the answers. And you know what you would come up with? Blanks. Because we can't answer all the questions. And so everyone has to find a place of faith, a place to bridge the gap between what we know and what we don't know. And what if our faith could be in the fact that there is a God, that he is who he says he is, he will do what he says he will do, and then we act like it. You know, faith might be something of all this armor that you need the most right now. It often is. I want to encourage you in this. First of all, faith has the amazing ability to deflect anything the enemy throws at us. And Jesus teaches a lot about faith, and one thing he says is that even a small amount of faith can carry you through a really hard time. Just a little glimmer of hope can get you through dark woods, right? A little light on a porch, a long way away. I can find it. Maybe the thing that you need is a little bit of faith. Hope you can find it. By just sitting here knowing, like, wow, there is a God who loves me. Beyond that, though, faith many times has been described as a muscle. Now, not all of us have equal muscles, but what I know is that some are small and some are big, and if you exercise them, they get bigger. And one of the greatest ways to increase the shield in your life, to protect you from the enemy's flaming darts, is to work out that faith. Let it grow. Let it grow. Let it come around you and protect you because there are things that we don't know and we don't understand. And the enemy is going to be throwing darts of confusion and doubt and fear and unanswered questions and disappointment. And they're going to be ting, ting, ting. And they're coming at you. But faith deflects those darts. Faith in a God who loves us. Faith in a God who can protect us. Please keep coming to the community here and learning about that and growing faith. So we've got our belt, truth. 
We got our breastplate, righteousness. We got our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're holding with a shield of faith. And then it says this next, take the helmet of salvation. You know, the helmet is probably one of the most important parts in a piece of armor uh, for a lot of reasons. One reason is that it kind of identifies which army that you're a part of. Uh, in a battlefield, the, the, the helmets would often be different colors, have a different insignia on it, and the way they're in different places. That, that's important. But I think the most important thing that you need for a helmet is uh, protects your head from, you know, projectiles right like that's that's why I want a helmet on I don't want to be in the battlefield like oh I'm good baseball cap I'm good no give me a big old metal helmet like I want that thing to protect my brain and I love that Paul uses a helmet as a piece of the armor of God he says this your salvation is like a helmet like salvation is knowing that no matter what happens God's got my back no matter what happens in this world there is a world beyond that is way better way 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 better than anything this world could offer and you can go in and you can be oppressed on all sides by the enemy, but if you get your helmet on, you're like, I'm good. I'm good with God. God has got my back. I, I want to say something about this helmet of salvation because uh, just like in any other army, uh, you, they're not just handing out helmets to everybody uh, who just wishes they had a helmet. No, you have to enlist into an army. You have to enlist, and the same thing's true with God's, God's army. He says, I want you to enlist. Like, I want you to tell me, I want to be a part of this. If you've never taken an opportunity to proclaim with your mouth, like, I want to be a Christian. I want to do my best to live my life. Understanding, like last week and the week before we talked about, like, you're not always perfect. Understanding you don't have to be the perfect Christian. But just to say, I, I want in. I want to do this. Maybe you've never enlisted into, to use our metaphor, God's army. You know what, today could be your day. Today needs to be your day. I don't know what seeking, what questions you might still have out there for you, and maybe you want to go through some more of those, but man, could today be your day? Would you please join the phalanx and say, I'm in? Like, I don't want to be alone in this thing. I tell you what, if you want to do that today, would you please come and speak to me before you leave today? Speak to one of our volunteers before you go today. You can make a note on your connection card if you just really don't want to talk to somebody, but come on, like, uh, enlist. <laughs> say, Jesus, I, I want to know more about you. I want to be in. I want to be saved by you. And those helmets, man, he gives them out. He loves inviting you to join the fight with him and to be protected. So we've got our helmet of salvation. And finally, there's one last piece. Finally, we wrap up the armor of God, and it says this, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Did you notice that in all of the writing that we've taught, we've got the belt of truth, we've got the breastplate of righteousness, we've got feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we've got our shield of faith, we've got our helmet of salvation. All of these are defensive. These are armor things. I think this says a lot about God. I think God says, listen, I'm going to protect you. You're going to be well taken care of. You've got this phalanx of believers around you. they got your right side, your left side, your back. they got you. I'm going to protect you with faith and truth and righteousness and salvation, and all these things are going to protect you. But there's one little piece you're going to need. Occasionally, you're going to need to fight back. Let me give you something sweet, a sword. And he gives us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Sometimes I hear my, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, the word of God is the only way we need to fight in this battle. Sometimes we try to take on like a gladiator, and take on the evil of this world by ourselves, mouthing off. Uh, can I just tell you that in a spiritual war, uh, you, you don't want to go tango one-on-one with a spiritual force. You don't. It's not, no. You don't want to. There's only one thing that will work, and that is to speak in the authority of Jesus. That's what he gives us. 
His name. That's what we talked about last week, turning the jersey around, playing for the name on the front of the jersey. Do you remember that? His name is mighty and it's powerful because in this battle, there's only one banner that we can march under and say, yes, we will be victorious. It's the name of Jesus. It's the word of God, the mouth of God, the authority of God. It's funny because sometimes my kids, I hear them playing and I hear my son say something like, dad said you couldn't have that. Dad, dad said you can't have that. Don't touch that. And, and my, my daughter's like, oh, mom said, mom said you can't have that candy right now. Mom said, mom said. And, and, and it's, you know why they say that? Because they know they ain't got no authority. Like, they got, they got nothing. But if mom said, uh-oh, did she see me? Right? And it's funny because sometimes I'm in the other room and I'm like, I never said that. What are you, what are you saying? Knowing whose authority matters, matters. You follow me on that? Jesus said in, in this battle, or Paul says, in this battle, take the word of God to fight with. Fight with his word, by his authority, and in his name. When it comes to the battleground of life, don't try to fight by your own authority. Don't even try. You'll get eaten alive. Instead, pull out your sword. I'm going to bring my Bible up here. I cheat and use an iPad for the Bible. But, man, there's Bibles in your seats. There's Bibles in your hands. And, man, these things. You know what? Uh, we hand out Bibles every week at church. We give them away for free. Anybody who wants one. We want you to have a good, readable version of the Bible. This is an English version, the New International Version, that was translated in 2011 to make sure that it is in really good modern English. You need to have God's Word in a way that you can read it. So you can say, look, today at church, they were handing out swords. They were giving them out to everybody. Get you a sword before you leave today. Walk out and start reading that thing. Go home and practice with it. I've got friends that I duel with. You know, we talk and we just say, hey, uh, this is what's going on in the life. And, and one of us will try to say, man, this is what the scriptures say about it. This is what God says about that. This microgroup that I'm a part of, uh, we, we will text each other scripture. Why? It's, it's powerful. It's the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. You read it and it can build your faith. And it brings life change. And so, there we go. We got through it. Battle of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith. Helmet of salvation, feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The battleground is real. We've got to know our enemy, know what we're up against. We've got to know our weapons and our armor. But you know what else is real? The battleground's real, but you know what else is real? Jesus is real. Jesus is real, and Jesus is powerful, and he's transforming, and he has brought us the victory already. He says, you do the best you can in your daily battles, but I promise you the victory in the war. And you don't have to take my word for it. Right now, sitting in this room, we have dozens of stories of victory. Where God has come in in your spiritual battle, and he's crashed the walls down, and he said, I got your back. In this room right now, I'm thinking of you, and you know who you are. There's actually a couple of people that fit this description. Someone who was once an atheist but became convinced in not only that there is a God, but there's a God who loves them and has laid their life down for them. And they found a new lease on life through him. There are people in this room who were controlled by alcoholism. And it just ate them alive. But then they said, you know what? This thing is controlling me. It's my God. i got to give it away. And they picked up the real God, the real power. And it has transformed their life. And it has given them something to stand on. And they can now stand proudly in their daily battle and say, I'm not alone. There are people in this room who are stuck in a pornography addiction. And over and over, it continued to eat them alive until they found accountability with people who said, I am going to fight this in the name of Jesus, not by my own authority, but by his. And they're freed from it. 
and their relationships are different, and their life has been transformed. There are people in this room right now, several of you know who you are, who are in a marriage that was washed up because you were so dang selfish. But then you realize that it's not about me. It's about making my spouse number one and putting God as the center of our life. And now your marriage is on the mend. And you're loving each other, and you're going on dates again, and you're smiling at each other again, and you're working through your problems again because you realize that you are not the enemies of each other. You're on the same team. I could go on and on and on. In the past two years that this church has existed, 32 people from this small church community have come and said, I want to give my life to Jesus for the first time and be baptized. I want to enlist. And they received that helmet of salvation. 32 people whose lives are utterly changed, and most of you are in the room right now. What? This battle is so winnable. God has given us so many tools. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of this world, but gear up. Get each other's backs. Fight the good fight of faith. Let that faith grow inside of each one of us so that we as a community can reach out to the dark places of this world and shine the light, the truth into the lies, the righteousness into the evil, the gospel of peace into the place of fear and calamity. Give helmets of salvation to people who are completely lost and dying and help them hold up a shield of faith in a place where they had nothing but doubt. And say, come join the phalanx. The battle is ours. Our king is victorious. Let's pray. God, we love you. Being sucker punched is no fun. Uh, but, but you don't want us to go through life just kind of reeling and overcoming sucker punch after sucker punch. Instead, you give us tools to move forward and grow. Lord, I praise you for the good word that you've given us in the book of Ephesians. And there's so many things. I mean, we just skipped over like verses and verses just because we tried to get this in five weeks. I just pray that we can go back, each one of us, and read all of it. Apply it to our lives and grow through it. Lord, thank you for this community, this, this phalanx that I belong to. Lord, I pray that I can get people's back and stand by their side, but also knowing that they're there for me. You're good. You're the righteous and mighty warrior and our king. We pray it all in your name. Amen.